Good morning, Cornerstone. Glad you are here. Welcome, everybody. My name is Dennis. I'll be your speaker today. I am substituting for Bob Paddock. Uh, he is preaching in Roanoke today at New Hope Christian Church. I talked to him at 8.15, and they were already in worship, so they got an early start. But we're glad you're here. I've been thinking uh, over the past several weeks how thankful I am for the Lord's church and how thankful I am that we can be a part of that church. Jesus Christ died for his church. Along with that, I'm thankful for this church. This is a special place. You can come here and be yourself and worship Jesus. Along with that, we get to see God change us. What a blessing. We get to be a part of that. So just want to share that with you. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Blindsided. I am not trying to fool you. I am not an avid football fan. Uh, <clears throat> I know very little about the game. I know a touchdown is six points. I know that when the referee pulls out that yellow flag and throws it, somebody's in trouble. Somebody's messed up. But that's really about all I know about the game. <clears throat> but I've been told that the quarterback may very well be the most important man on the football team. As the quarterback goes, so goes the team. He's seen as the team leader. He's responsible for getting the team motivated and fired up. <clears throat> it's his responsibility to lead the team down the field and put points on the board. Therefore, it would be extremely important to protect your quarterback. You see, when he drops back to throw a pass, the danger is that some big, mean, 300-pound guy can come around from behind, running full speed, and blindside your quarterback. It could injure him, could put him out for the game, put him out for the season, could potentially end his career. You do not want your quarterback to be blindsided. Have any of you ever been blindsided in life? <clears throat> I'm not talking about sports, not talking about football. Have you ever been hit by an event or a set of circumstances that you never saw coming? And man, it just nailed you, boom, like a ton of bricks, and you went down. There was an event in my life that totally blindsided me. It happened in 2002. July 2nd was a Tuesday night. I talked to my father like we did so often. He was doing great. Told me the next day he would be journeying down to North Carolina on business. He said, son, I'll talk to you when I get home. And we never talked again. You see, that next day, Wednesday, my father had a major heart attack on Highway 29 coming out of Greensboro. Wednesday night, I got a call from an EMT uh, down in Greensboro. She told me what had happened. She thought my father had had a heart attack, and she said it didn't look good. I called the local hospital, and the ER doctor told me that they had lost my father. He was gone. I then had to get in my car and drive over to my mother's house and tell her 
that her spouse, her husband of 48 years was gone. She was looking for him to come home. Mom, he's not coming home. Add to all of that, add to all of that, this body, Cornerstone Church of Christ, was beginning to form in the summer of 2002. We were meeting outside under the stars on Saturday night. And then we later moved inside to, to, to the home of one of our elders. And along with that joy, along with all of that, came a lot of stress. And man, before I knew it, I was down. I mean down, like in big trouble, hospitalized. And I never saw it coming. But you know, beloved, I'm happy to tell you that through all those events, through all that stress, Scott, if you'll bring that slide up, through all of that, I learned this. Even when it rains, the Lord reigns. Could I get an amen on that, folks? Even when, even when all hell seems like it's breaking loose in your life, the Lord reigns. He's got us, folks. He loves us. We can stay in his hand. There was a young man in Scripture who was blindsided. His name was Joseph. His story is found in the Old Testament book of Genesis. I am convinced that this young man was hit by a series of events that he never saw coming. And yet the way he responded to these events was impeccable. His character remained faultless. He remained pure. I want us to look this morning at the life of Joseph, starting in Genesis 37, verse 2. <clears throat> this is the account of Jacob and his family. Jacob is the father. He has 12 sons. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. Let's, let's do a timeout right there. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you, when you were 17, just made great decisions? You had all the right friends. You never caved into peer pressure. <laughs> you had a boatload of wisdom. Your discernment was great. And when you got behind the wheel of an automobile, you just were impeccable. Raise your hand. No, I, I can't raise my hand, and I didn't think you would either. Listen, in just a few verses, Joseph is going to make a mistake. But we need to cut him some slack because he was, after all, 17. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. This is what we know so far. He was 17, and he was a tattletale. Now, you remember that expression we used in school? Nobody likes a what? A tattletale or a snitch. This young boy is a tattletale. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. This is often called the coat of many colors. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of him. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Do you see any problems already in this family? There's jealousy, there's hatred, there's envy. 
but it gets worse. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. Now, friends, these are great dreams if you're Joseph. But it almost seems like he's flaunting or manipulating these dreams to jab his brothers. He should have and could have articulated these dreams in a much better way, but he's 17. So Jacob, the father, sends the 10 oldest sons out with the sheep to graze them. And later he sends Joseph out to check on them. I think he did this because he knew Joseph would do what? Report the truth. He would tattle. He would tell Pop what the deal was. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. My friends, this family's got trouble. When siblings really want to kill siblings, you've got trouble. I know we talk about it sometimes, but there's trouble here. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Folks, jealousy and hatred will drive people to do awful things. They hated Joseph because of the dreams God had placed in his heart. And God had done that for a reason that would become apparent 13 years later. How old is Joseph now? He's 17. This story is going to take actually over 13 years. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. Remember, that's a symbol there of jealousy. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. This is almost humorous. These guys sat down to eat a meal. They've just disposed of their brother. They sat down to eat a meal, and they look up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. They sound like bad dudes to me. The Ishmaelites are coming. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. My friends, even when it rains, the Lord reigns. Even when things seem totally out of control, God is still in control. Do you believe that this morning? Say amen if you do. God is always in control. Let's summarize. Let's 
let's review what we know so far. Joseph was 17. He was probably naive and immature. He was a tattletale. He was a dreamer. He had a super nice coat, and he was the favorite son. Now, some people will say he was just getting what he deserved. Some people would say he had that coming. Have you ever heard someone say that about another person? They're just getting what they deserved. But my friends, let me give you some good, free advice this morning. We need to be careful how we speak into a situation when we don't have all the details. We need to be careful how we go on Facebook and speak into something when we don't know all the details. Verse 31, Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. We just found it. Examine it to see whether or not it's your son's robe. Jacob recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn into pieces. And there is the deception. There is the lie. These ten brothers colluded to lie to their father. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Friends, don't miss that phrase there, the captain of the guard. Genesis 39. But the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Two things. Two things I want you to consider. At the end of this story, Joseph is going to be the number two man in all of Egypt. He's essentially going to run that country. What is something you would need to learn if you're the number two man in Egypt? What about how to lead the army? What about military tactics? How the military works? Where would be a great place to learn this? What about in the house of the captain of the guard? You see, church, I'm submitting to you this morning. God wasn't punishing Joseph. God was preparing him for something great. God wasn't punishing Joseph. He was preparing him. Maybe, maybe you're in a situation this morning that you're not happy with. Maybe God isn't punishing you. He's preparing you for something greater. I love the message translation of Ephesians 3.20. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by punishing us, not by pushing us around, but by working within us, His Spirit deeply and gently within us. And folks, number two, God never turned his back on Joseph, and Joseph never turned his back on God. Amen? God never turned his back on Joseph. Scripture is clear on that. Scripture says the Lord was with Joseph. And I can prove to you that Joseph never turned his back on God. Genesis 39, starting with verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now listen to this. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He's not turned his back on God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Men, men, in the middle of a strenuous, tempting situation, Joseph had the presence of mind to say no. Men, you know what I'm talking about. In the middle of a tempting situation, Joseph said no. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in, your, in her hand and ran out. I can see his arms folding back. He's running. She's pulling the cloak. Mrs. Potiphar has been rejected numerous times. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. She's trying to start the Me Too movement back in Egypt, even though she was lying. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Don't miss that statement. In the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Friends, don't ever buy into the myth that only good things happen to good people. It doesn't work that way. Bad things happen to good people. Joseph did the right thing. Now remember, he's single at this point. He's not married. He's young. He's handsome. He's got hormones, I'm sure. And yet he runs and he winds up in prison. But listen, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he made him and he was responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Folks, there's a tremendous lesson here. Don't ever give up on a God who's never given up on you. Amen? Folks, are you listening? Don't ever give up on a God who's never given up on you. Better things are on the way. So what's happened so far in our story? There's animosity in this family. There's tremendous jealousy. His brothers wanted to kill him, but they sell him into slavery. And he lands in Potiphar's house, and then he's imprisoned on a falsified rape charge. Can we agree that it was raining in Joseph's life? 
can we agree that Joseph was blindsided by event after event? But two things. God never turned his back on Joseph, and Joseph never turned his back on God. Joseph is going to be the number two man in Egypt. Where would be a good place to learn the political landscape of this country? What about in the king's prisoners, where the king's prisoners are? Don't you think he heard talk? Don't you think there was scuttlebutt? God's not punishing Joseph. God is preparing him for better things. You see, even when it rains, the Lord reigns. Genesis 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with these two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. So one night, both of these two men have dreams. The chief baker, the chief cupbearer. When Joseph came into them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked them, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Still pointing to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. Good news, bro. In three days, you're going home. You're going back to work. You're out of this prison. Then Joseph said this, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Would you mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison? A simple request. The chief baker heard what was going on. He said, I too had a dream. This is what it means, Joseph said. I'm sorry, dude. Bad news for you. You're going to die. You're going to lose your life, and the birds will eat away your flesh. And guess what? In three days, it happened just like Joseph said. The cupbearer got his job back, and the baker wound up dead. And verse 23 is so sad. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. What a sad commentary. There could be someone here today who feels forgotten by God. Maybe you're in the middle of a situation that you never saw coming. Maybe you've been blindsided. You would have never picked the situation that you're in right now. And so what do you do? How should you respond? Look at Joseph. He waited on God and kept on being faithful. That's what I see in this story. He waited on God and kept on being faithful. I love Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Wait on God. And be faithful. Now we move to Genesis 41. The Bible tells us two full years pass. 
the, the cupbearer has been reemployed for two full years. Joseph has been still in prison for two more years. And so Pharaoh has a dream. He's standing by the Nile River, and he sees seven beautiful cows come up out of the river. And then he sees seven skinny, emaciated cows come up out of the river. And guess what? The seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows. He falls asleep again and has a second dream. He sees seven heads of grain all on the same stalk, beautiful heads of grain. And then he sees seven scorched, pitiful-looking heads of grain. And the seven pitiful heads eat the seven beautiful heads of grain. And so Pharaoh wakes up. And Scripture tells us in the morning his mind was troubled. And so he sent for the magicians and all the wise men in Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them. And then, don't you know, the light bulb comes on in the chief cupbearer's mind. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Guess what? I've forgotten. There's this young Hebrew guy who was, I was in prison with, and he can interpret dreams. And not only that, he interprets them correctly. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. He was shaved, he changed his clothes, and he comes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph said, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. My friends, I'm telling you, he's still relying on God. He's not turned his back on God. He's still holding on to God. So Pharaoh tells Joseph about the cows and the grain. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Folks, Joseph sees an opportunity here. Yes, he's been sold by his brothers. He served the captain of the guard. He's been imprisoned unjustly. And yes, he's ready for this moment because God wasn't punishing Joseph. He was preparing him. Maybe, maybe you thought that God was enslaving you when actually he's shaping you for something much greater. And so Joseph lays out a plan on how food should be stored in preparation for the famine that's coming. Verse 37, Scripture tells us, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. All my people are to submit to your orders. 
Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. My friends, just like that, Joseph has gone from the prison to the palace. He went from a cistern to the pinnacle, like that. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. Listen to this. All the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Folks, here comes the climax of the story. Genesis 42. When Jacob, he's the father of these 12 sons, when Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Listen to this. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Scripture tells us they did not recognize Joseph, but Joseph knew exactly who they were. You see, folks, Joseph's dreams had come true many, many years later. God had gotten Joseph to the place where his dreams came true. He just didn't take him on the path he thought he would walk on, right? Maybe today you're not on the path you thought you would be on right now. But let me ask you something. How would you know God is a healer if you were not in a place that you needed healing? How would you know God is a provider and sustainer if you didn't realize your utter dependence on him? You see, friends, just like Joseph, God has not forgotten you. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And the one thing God is totally incapable of is failure. Amen, Cornerstone? Do you hear me? The one thing God is totally incapable of is failure. When I think of the story of Joseph, I'm reminded of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, when the world looks back at the cross, they see a grotesque, ridiculous sight that seems like no one is in control. But in fact, God is totally in control because he's preparing salvation for his children. God was totally in control at the cross. Now listen to this. Other than Christ... Forgiving our sins, 
There's no better example in Scripture of forgiveness than when Joseph forgives his brothers. You see, the Bible tells us that he eventually reveals himself to his brothers. This is Joseph. They become afraid. Wouldn't you? You sold your brother. You wanted to kill him. And now you're looking at him. Joseph begins to weep. He embraces his brothers. And he forgives them. But if you look further in Genesis 50. Daddy Jacob dies. Jacob dies. His brothers now become really fearful. We know now that Joseph is going to retaliate. He's going to come after us. Joseph says these words. What you meant for evil, God has used for good so that many lives might be saved. My friends, think about the cross. When the hounds of hell put Jesus on the cross, they meant that for evil. But God used it for good so that we, so that we might be saved. <clears throat> My friends, when life gets hard, when you are blindsided, when you are blindsided, the best advice I know is to wait on God. And be faithful. Scott, if you bring that last slide. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. And wait on the Lord. The best advice I know. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> what an example. What an example of, of impeccable character that we see in Joseph. He remained true. He remained steadfast. He stayed faithful. <clears throat> God, it's the best advice I know of. We wait on you to do your work, and we stay faithful. God, I'm confident that you have our best interest at heart, and I believe that with all my heart. <clears throat> God, we love you. We're excited to see what you're doing in this congregation. We bless your holy name. It's in Jesus' name I pray by faith. Amen.